Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, I'm Mark Schwartzer, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast Christmas Special. Today we're going to be doing a review of the year in football, and I've got my little elves to help me do that. Phil Kittramilis and Michael Bridges. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas, Mark, from a very, very cold northeast of England, but I've got my Christmas jump on, I've got my reindeer and my mistletoe, because I love spreading the joy and having Christmas kisses. Yeah, I've got my Merry Christmas uh, jumper on as well. I mean, there's something missing, actually. I feel like, Bridgie, someone is the odd one out. Bar humbug. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wearing a black T-shirt because, you know, I fancy wearing a black T-shirt. These two guys have got their silly Christmas jumpers on. I am not a Christmas jumper advocate. I'm a grown man. I think it's ridiculous. So I'm not I'm not I'm not wearing it. I can get described us in other ways. As the two little elves. Now you've got one little elf and me with a big nose, and we've got a Grinch by your side. So let's crack on. Grinch, to be fair, mate, he's not far off it, is he? Really? Looks wise as well. Let's be honest. <laughs> fine, fine. I'd rather be the Grinch than an elf. So yeah, yeah. That's fine. Really? Would you? I'd rather be an elf, personally. Yes. Nah. How come do you not like Christmas? Grinch. What is your problem? What is your problem with Christmas? I quite like Christmas. I don't like how everybody has to be like overly cheerful and desperate to enjoy Christmas. So I just feel there's too much societal pressure on it. So let's not get into that. Let's talk about football instead because I could go off on a rant here. Yeah, yeah, because we're going to talk about parties, right? Football uh, Christmas parties. I'm not going to ask you, Phil, because obviously you don't ever go to parties because you just don't like Christmas. Um, Bridgie, <laughs> what have you got for us? What, what was the most interesting party you've ever been to? And remember, we've got to keep it clean. And that's the hard Got part. Got to keep it clean. Right. I've vet, I vetted a few then. So, yeah, there's a couple I can't tell you about. But there's one that sticks out in memory for me at Leeds United for two reasons. There was two hilarious moments happened. So we had our Christmas party night. We were out dressed as army people. So camouflage gear, hats on, right? And went out into town into Leeds City Centre. Had an absolutely cracking night. It was actually one of Robbie Fowler's first initiations or first welcome to the football club as well. Um, when, he, when he joined. So, yeah, it didn't, didn't end well for Robbie because Robbie ended up getting pictured in a taxi by the taxi driver asleep and unable to pay for his taxi <laughs> because he was intoxicated so much. And the next thing you know, Sunday mornings or whatever it was, Sunday Monday morning, there was a Robbie Fowler asleep um, on the front pages. However, there was a guy that he, used to hang around with, Seth Johnson. He's sorry, his, his military gear must have been that very good because he wasn't camouflaged enough. Well, yeah, you, all you could just see was yeah. he hey, hey. <laughs> There was another guy used to hang around with Seth Johnson. It was one of his, one of his best mates. And I'll never forget, we nicknamed this kid the Lummox because he was just so stupid. Anything Seth told him to do, he would do. So he came out in the Christmas party dressed in the army gear. And we said, listen, do us a favor. We're training the next day. Um, you've got to come and you've got to keep your army gear on. And we want you to stand on top of the the gantry where we used to video the sessions from. So we had like a TV tower basically back in the day. And we witnessed this guy climb the climb the tower the next day when we were training. He had, to, he had to stand up on top of his armor gear on and just salute us for the whole session of the game. <laughs> and we were all going to chip in and give him some Christmas money for his funding. And he stood there 
for 30 minutes into the session when David O'Leary looked up and went, who the bleeding hell is that <laughs> up on top of the gantry? <laughs> looked up and went, that'll be the lummox. He said, what the feck is he doing up there? <laughs> it's bloody dangerous. And this kid, he just give, he just give him, he just give O'Leary a little salute and he stood there for the whole duration. Um, still drunk as a skunk from the night before we trained. And it was just a, a moment because uh, David O'Leary was going to rip this kid's head off. And then he saw the papers and the press and he, he ended up ripping Robbie Fowler's head off instead. So it was a, a Christmas party of disasters, but we had a right good night out in army gear. What about you? Um, there was a few, like one, one, I mean, when I first came over, um, I mean, they're all, they're all like censored, have to be censored massively. Um, but I, I just remember that fancy dress. So like, Coming over, we never in Germany we didn't do fancy dress uh, Christmas parties. Christmas you have off anyway, so you're off with all your families. Um, whereas in England, that was the thing, right? Big fancy dress yeah. uh, occasion. I love, I actually love fancy dress. And uh, the first one I ever did was Mikkel Beck and I decided for whatever reason, I have no idea. It was like it was like eighties something dress sense, and we decided to go as women dressed in the eighties. I, I don't know why. I have no idea. And uh, that was a pretty wild and wonderful night because I can't go into too much detail about that. Um, and then the other one that stands out for me was another fancy dress. And that was with uh, when I signed for, for Fulham. And uh, we, I went as Spider-Man. And, but I didn't go as your normal Spider-Man in terms of in the full outfit with a mask on. I had the suit on. And I had my shirt undone and had my Spider-Man outfit on and I was turning into Spider-Man. But what I do remember is Bobby Zamora went as Batman. And I remember he spent fortunes on his suit and uh, Annie Johnson went as Superman. I mean, it was the biggest mismatch in the world, right? Because Bobby Zamora is like six foot three, six foot four, <laughs> massive. He looked the part in as Batman and Annie Johnson is about five foot two Scrawny. and he's Superman. I mean, when has, when has Superman ever been five foot two? Yeah. Honestly, it was such a mismatch, but yeah, a lot of laughs, obviously too much alcohol being yeah. drunk. Um, and that's where we're going to stop the, uh, the story on that one. Um, well, so the, fancy, uncensored, the fancy dress version of, of air, I think the fancy dress theme continued at Sunland. Uh, and I was just a young kid. So it was only first ever, um, nights out. And, I was uh, I was I wasn't drinking, but all the other senior pros were, and we all went fancy dress. I went as a skeleton because my nickname was Bones or the Stickman, so I went in a, a skeleton outfit. But I'll never forget there was there was an altercation where there was a, a fight erupted, and I stayed well out of the way and hid um, as we do. And I just saw this guy getting absolutely peppered um, in the middle of this this big ruckus, and it was so funny. About half an hour later, I remember leaving and walking out of the venue. And the police had arrived and I heard one of the doormen saying, he, he was given like an interview to say what had happened. He said, well, all I saw was Batman and Robin kicking in this guy. And then as he got up, little boy peeps struck him with his, with his joke. And then, the, then there was a, there was a guy dressed as, dressed as, dressed as a pirate with a parrot on his shoulder. He hit him with his crutch and that was Tony Corton because he broke oh. his leg and TC went as a pirate with a wooden leg. I mean, honestly, so he was giving oh. this interview to a policeman. And it was just, it, you know, like Batman and Robin were beating up little boar people with all their three sheep. That would have oh, been the best Brilliant. thing to hear, especially in a Macam accent as well, oh. like a real thick yeah. Macam accent. That would have been absolutely, absolutely brilliant, brilliant to hear. I'd love to have seen the police report, but yeah, they couldn't find out the um, they couldn't find out who the perpetrators were, <laughs> <laughs> other than Batman and Robin and uh, little boar. Batman Peep. and Robin and little boar peep. Yeah, brilliant. 
There you go. Well, let's move on. We're going to talk about each month um, and have a discussion about what was the highlight of each month. We're going to start with January, and it has to be Ronaldo moving to El Nassar, um, the start of the Saudi influx. I mean, did that kind of like – firstly, did we see it coming, Phil? Did we ever actually think – I mean, you're in Spain. How big a news was that, and did we see it, did we see it happening? Do we think it, it would even happen? It was huge, and I initially didn't see it happening at all. I thought that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo <clears throat> might have had too much of an ego uh, to go there, might have uh, wanted to uh, decide to keep uh, uh, playing at the highest level and scoring more Champions League goals and trying to maybe outdo Messi. I don't know, but it just, I, didn't, I didn't see it happening. And also just the way he left Manchester United as well, just what are you doing? He just kind of ruined his United legacy, went back there. He was an absolute hero. And then to leave the way he left, I think it soured. Um, a lot of uh, United fans' opinion of him. So it was a really, really strange and eye-catching move as well. And it did, as you said, it was the start of the Saudi influx because then we saw loads of high-profile players uh, go there. And uh, yeah, it was the start of a new a new era, a new yeah. dawn, because I think, there's going to be more. There's gonna be I more. think the Saudi league, Phil, absolutely blindsided everybody. Not that it was coming, mm. but the the way it was coming with the, the the power to be able to get transfers. And like you say, the ones that the the ones that surprised me with the big moves was there was a couple that came out of the Premier League, was Ruben Neves, age of twenty six leaving to go and play over there. I thought that was absolutely... I mean, I loved watching the Premier League. Damari Gray at the age of 27, going with them, Steven Gerrard. Uh, not so much of a big name, but for that young of an age to go over there. And the one that came from yeah. me, Phil, went to, from Lazio, was Savage, who went to Al-Halal. That was, um, that, that was a huge one, because I was taught he might even be coming to the Premier League or La Liga. Yeah. And to see him go yeah, over yeah. there, that, that was huge. They were the three standouts for me that I, I picked yeah. out and thought, wow. That there was also Benzema. I mean, the 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 reigning yeah. the reigning Ballon d'Or. He ha, he was the reigning Ballon d'Or. He was the first choice striker for Real Madrid. All right, he was thirty four, thirty five. But last chance if, to if fill he his pockets. Gone, last chance to yeah, fill his he's pockets. His pockets. He's, he's unbelievably rich anyway. But yeah, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge contract. But the thing is, he's the starting striker for the biggest club yeah. in the world. And if he hadn't have gone, he would have been starting for Real Madrid yeah. this season. So the starting striker for Real Madrid, Ballon d'Or winner, and he's gone to Saudi. That was absolutely yeah. huge as well. But yeah, the ones that you mentioned as well, so, kind of rang rang bells, rang bells. Who's who's next then, Swartzy? Uh, uh, well, I mean, firstly, I'm just going to interrupt quickly as well because our producer, Elliot, is a mad Liverpool fan and he's offended that none of you actually mentioned Henderson. Jordan Henderson, like at the peak of his career at 34 years old, I think it was, uh, left Liverpool. He was going to be a fringe player, let's be honest. He was going to be a squad player to at Liverpool. Totally understood why he left me, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, he's, he's yeah, got the Champions but, League. But it, right? Yeah, no, I own it, yeah, but he went and did it the right way. He went and asked the manager in the club, this is insane money. Can we do what's right and come up with some agreement? He didn't, he, he did it the right way. Yeah, but openly, openly, publicly, the interview he gave, he said he didn't do it for money. I mean, look, oh, just yeah, own yeah, it. Yeah. Look, of course he did know it for money. players <laughs> went there because everyone yeah. did it for money. Like, let, let's be honest. I agree with you all. Like, Ronaldo, look, I think, at, you know, Manchester United, he had to leave Manchester United. I don't think there were many clubs that were interested in him at the elite level that he thought he was still at, which mm. he clearly isn't at that elite level. And um, absolutely no surprise whatsoever. <laughs> was he the name that, that did it? Probably, yeah. Everyone probably thought, right, Ronaldo's gone there, done really well. He's obviously on absolute crazy money and this alert in the door for everyone else. I, I agree. Neves, Savage, they're probably the two, team, two players that surprised me the most about the moves. The rest of them kind of like, yeah, 
various stages of their career. Are they going to be necessarily a huge loss? I mean, Benzema, yes, of course. But how much longer was he going to be number one striker at Real Madrid? Was the, you know, was the, the writing already on the wall? He wanted to leave on a high and it's a, it's a great time to, to move on and still be able to perform at a decent level in Saudi. And, and again, let's be honest, doesn't really need to be at that bigger high level to be playing at Saudi um, for a longer period of time. So I understand. And the money that's on offer, there's no other, another, no other option for these players. Um, just quickly, who's, who's the next one? Who's the big one that's going to happen? There's a lot of talk in the press right now. Phil, who have you got in mind? Uh, Mo Salah is the one that um, seems to tick a lot of boxes. It would be absolutely monumental if he were to go for, for for many different reasons, not least, you know, he would really be the the international face of this of this league. I desperately hope that he doesn't, uh, because I think he's, you know, still at such a high level because these players go there and we completely lose sight of them. I haven't got a clue what Benzema's up to. I couldn't tell you anything about Ruben Neves. Like these players they go there and we don't see them ever again. So I desperately hope that that Salah doesn't go there. But he he, he seems to be Phil, one that could be going to upset you a little bit more here being a Tottenham fan that you are. Um, the Egyptian no. king, I believe, will more sell. I think they're going to go all out to get him and be the, the marquee signing of the league next year like they did with Ronaldo. And I think they might try Who? and also persuade Son of Tottenham Hotspur. What? Yep, I'm telling you. Yeah, sources. I've got some sources out there, Phil. I hate oh, to no. tell it. The contacts are out there. Oh, these are actual sources. Yeah, it's not, this is this sounds mate. like it's very spicy sauce as well. Oh, and no. it's a, it's a, he's a visa, he's not a visa player. If you go to the FC as well, so he's good for them for the Champions League as well, mate. It's, um, it ticks a lot of boxes for them. Right, let's move on to February. Girona win six two and start a remarkable run of form. Phil's. Hashtag always watch Girona campaign is born. Is actually, it's when it began, Phil. I think it is. Like the, at the first time I wrote about them for Opta Sport, I think it was right at the start of March, but it was after these results that we had in February. And in February, they won 6-2 against uh, Almeria. It was an incredible game. It was a game that sort of encapsulated everything that Girona were all about. At the time of recording, um, they are in a La Liga title race, which nobody, nobody could have envisaged. And... In February, they were playing really attractive attacking football, but they weren't that good defensively. So they were letting in loads of goals as well and scoring loads of goals. This season, they've shored up defensively. They're still scoring loads of goals and been banging on about it all year, all of 2023, basically, since February. Always watched Girona. And um, I feel vindicated that they've um, taken this next step and and are actually a a title uh, contender now. So, uh, yeah. Phil... Absolute super impressive, mate. I've joined the hashtag Always Watch Girona. You've got me on the campaign. I will say after Christmas, though, if they lose every single game for the remainder of the season after Christmas, will this have still been a successful season for them? Well, they'll still be safe, uh, I think, because um, they've got they're past the 40 points mark now. And at the start of the season, uh, survival would have been the number one um, yeah. option for them. And then to try and improve on last season's 10th place, uh, which I think they are, are going to do. Don't have European football. Um, I can't see them finishing uh, outside the European spots. Now, I've painted it as perhaps a sort of fairy tale. Uh, story of this small club. It's only their fourth ever season in La Liga and they're taking it by storm and they battle against Real Madrid and Barcelona. 
they are owned by the City Football Group, or they're not owned, but the you know, City Football Group are non-majority shareholders uh, in this club, which obviously brings with it massive, massive benefits. On the face of it, you haven't seen uh, too much involvement. There are only two players uh, on loan from City Football Group uh, uh, teams at the moment, but it is not a fairy tale story out of nowhere. They've had investment. Uh, they've got a, a network of clubs that they can draw from and, and help them, obviously funded by um, the City Football Group, which is Abu Dhabi. So it is, yeah, it's it, it's not a fairy tale, but, but it's still, still, an, it's still, still got to be story. run in the correct way. And I think it does show the professionalism that the City Group, yes, it's got its benefits and it's got its con, it's got its whatsoever's. But like you were saying, it's not like they've gone and dibble-dabbled and got so many. They've got a few players in, but they've been run and organised and structured so, so well, I believe. And the football they're playing is beautiful. So um, I still don't think they're going to be title contenders. I'm still going Real Madrid with this one. I'm sticking with them. Um, but they've been absolutely outstanding to watch. And I tell you to continue following Phil's trend. Always watch Girona. You mentioned they're the city group, though. Does it make us a little bit cynical? I mean, look, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I actually didn't even know they were part of the city group until you talked about it quite a few times, Phil. So actually, for me, it doesn't make it cynical. I've actually enjoyed watching them. I've enjoyed seeing yeah. them defy the odds. But I think in general, in Spain, is that is that frowned upon a little bit? No, 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 no. In Spain, not many people are talking about it at all. And to be honest, I mean, this no no one's really eh, no one really mentions it and and it's not something that i think the um people are 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 are, are taking the gloss off it um it's um Listen, it depends how what road we want to go down because, you know, if we go down Abu Dhabi and people start talking about you know, human rights abuses and lack of uh, democracy and the kind of totalitarian state, okay, I can buy all that, you know, I mean, but it is... Um, it's football, and there are lots of things in football that we, uh, you know, might might not have uh, wanted to wanted to have. So um, they they don't own it. It's not a state controlled club. They've got a non majority shareholder. Yeah, they've helped them uh, reach uh, uh, re reach a good level. But yeah, it's a difficult one, and we're not necessarily here to talk about the ethics of, of football. That could be a whole other podcast. But yeah, certainly in Spain, people aren't necessarily focusing on that because it's so out of the blue. It's so unexpected uh, that it's just a great story for people. I See, I, I'm going to say now, like I, I always watch Girona. I've only really started in the last couple of, probably last month, watching more of Girona. I don't oh. watch it. I don't watch the whole oh, that's games. Hurtful. Bridgie, that's hurtful and offensive. Yeah. Well, since the Barcelona, <laughs> since the Barcelona, since they beat Barcelona in that result, oh, so even um, less, even 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 sooner than was, like I was yeah. two weeks ago, mate. Yeah. A few yeah. weeks back, I am absolutely glued to them now. I will not miss a match. I was I was flippantly watching them prior to that, just keeping an eye on them, just having the highlights packages. Now I'll enjoy watching the 90 minutes. So, yep, definitely definitely a great talking point for that month of the year because Phil, um, yeah, changed my mindset. You need to get out more on weekends, mate. Bloody hell. Let's move on to March, and we can't talk about March. It has to be March is all about Antonio Conte. His meltdown at Spurs <laughs> was monumental. Yeah. Um, he gave us all uh, one of the all-time manager meltdowns as Spurs struggled for form. Have a listen to this. And Tottenham, Tottenham story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? Only for, the, the fault is only for the club or for the every manager that stay uh, here. And uh, I have seen uh, the manager that Tottenham had. You risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and to protect the other situation in every moment. And now, uh, until now, I try to hide 
the situation. But now, no. Because I repeat, I don't want to see what I have seen today. Because this is unacceptable. Also for the respect for the fans. They follow us, pay the tickets. And to see the team another time, to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. Phil, where does this rank in terms of all-time manager meltdowns? Do we see many meltdowns like this in, in, uh, in Spain or across the continent? I mean, I, I remember Giovanni Trapattoni at Bayern Munich was, was is, like, if you've not seen it, that is monumental. That is up there with the all-time greatest. And I think it even surpasses still Antonio Conte's. But where does it rank, in your opinion? I think Conte's is right up there. And that's a fact in terms of the rant. Uh, Rafa's fact rant is, uh, is right up there as well. But yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of Spurs fans saw this at the time and kind of like <laughs> echoed these sentiments. They were like, yeah, I mean, he probably shouldn't be saying this. He's the manager, but you know what? He's, he's not wrong. So um, it, was, it was strange to see a, a manager sort of lay into everyone uh, like that and then have the fans kind of on his side or at yeah. least understanding <laughs> Uh, it felt like it was unprofessional, like you shouldn't really be doing this, but that's what Spurs does to you. It kind of breaks you uh, like this if you're um, if you're not fully uh, aware of uh, of where you are. So yeah, I, I it, think, was, uh, it was quite special to watch. I think it was kind of the moment when he had kind of thought, how am I still in a job and I haven't been sacked yet? I'll tell you what I'll do. Right? Yeah. We're going to get back and we're going to get out of London. I'm going to go and do something and we will be definitely sacked within a week of me coming out of my outburst and just spilling as much stuff out. And like you were saying, Phil... There was so much truth in it, and I thought it was absolutely outstanding. But he was never going to survive after that. There's only two other outbursts I've seen in in recent times. Uh, I can't think who Gattuso was manager of. He was a fiery character as a player. I witnessed one of his m- managerial meltdowns when he started hitting the was desk. It Valencia? What, was it when he was at Valencia? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. it was, are you talking about the sometimes they may be good, sometimes they may be... Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was yeah. when he was at the, uh, in he was in the Greek Super League managing Offi Crete, uh, a short term, a short lived tenure there, and it was yeah, it was a pretty spectacular. It was outburst. outstanding yeah. that one. And the other one that yeah. resonates with me was Kevin Keegan. The meltdown when Alex Ferguson, Newcastle were going for the title race. Love it. They were getting run down, and Keegan was saying, "I would love it if we beat them. I would love it." And he just lost it. And Fergie was at home. He must have had his red wine out and just going, "Yeah, <laughs> there's the title there, boys. That's it. He is done and dusted." <laughs> There was We've steam We've coming out of Keegan's ears. And this season, I've got to say, being a Tottenham fan, I've got to say this season, the one that I love seeing recently, I love seeing Mikel Arteta. He sits in the stands a hell of a lot with these yellow cards and red cards that he's getting. But he lost it um, against the Newcastle match this season when he just came out and just said that VAR and the referees are an absolute disgrace. It's it's this, it's that. And I think he probably regrets what he actually said because of the manner. He was still in the heated moment and there was... There was three decisions went against him in one moment. Um, but yeah, it's, there's definitely up there. And that one with Conte is something that I'll live live long in my memory because I was a Spurs man. I was actually pleased to see the back of him. But he did open up a can of worms for people to um, people that had been wanting to see that for years. So do we, do we like this? Do we like seeing it? Do we want to see more of it, Phil? Do, what do players think? I want to get your guy. What do players think when you see your manager do this? How does that affect you? I, I, I think it's more a case. I don't think I've ever had a manager rant. I, you know what? Nigel Pearson went on a bit of a rant um, when I was at Leicester. Um, it was the game where he pinged. The ostrich one. No. Yeah, it was the ostrich one. Yeah. So, And I remember in the change room and players just going, he's lost it. He's gone. <laughs> 
Like yeah. what? Yeah. What? Like seriously, what's been going on? Like has he been? You know, I don't know. Has he? Has he? <laughs> has he had a big night or what? Like should he have been saying that? Um, I, I think as plays, you kind of go, "Wow, he's just he's lost mm. it now. He's completely yeah. he's blown a fuse." Because uh, you expect it in the change room. You expect managers yeah. to go berserk. You expect them to say whatever they want to say. But then when they take it outside and they really let loose, I think that's when you kind of go, well, he's, he's clutching at straws now. He's, he, he, it's not working. Wherever he is at, in the dressing room, is not working. Now I'm going to shame everyone. Going to say it can have, a, it can have a different effect, like you say, watching it inside the dressing room. I've seen Peter Reid, I've seen Sam Allardyce. They can lose the plot. It's when it's like what sports is. When you see them in front of the camera and you're on the bus and you're watching Sky Sports and you see a lot of the things that can either hang you out to dry or they can say you get a good feeling amongst the boys and you can either all turn around each other and go, "He's done, lads. <laughs> better better get myself ready for the new manager coming in." <laughs> And then he gets on the yeah, bus I'm, and everybody I'm, just standing with tension. You don't want to catch eye contact yeah. with him. You're like that. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's half the team going right. I'm going to really try now. And the new manager comes. Uh, yeah. I can stop. Uh, I can stop being in in uh, in, in, in second gear because uh, I'm going to really make sure I impress the new manager. And then the rest are like, some will be devastated, um, and others literally will be partying because the manager's going. Uh, April. This was the moment where Manchester City beat Arsenal to effectively end title race and go on and win it, of course, uh, and then win the treble. And then Haaland continued on his merry way, top goal scorer. I mean, we talk about that season, and it was an exciting Premier League season where Arsenal pushed Manchester City, not all the way, but to a large part. And I think because no one else was able to go with them. Is that right, Bridgie? Yeah, I was just about to say it. it was just like two heavyweights having a having a slog out in a boxer match because nobody else was going to go with them. Like this this season is completely different. There's so many teams in the mix. It's going to be exciting. But I think that kept Man City's flame alive. That Arsenal were going and having such a good go. And Man, Man City, to be fair to them, the way they finished was was incredible. Uh, they showed the staying power. I think they showed also the the mentality because I've been at teams in the past, Leeds United, we were top of the Premier League in 99-2000 at Christmas. We only had one player that had won it in David. Phil. He doesn't David stop talking Batty, about it. He mentions this David, all but the David time. Batty, David Batty was the only guy that had won anything in the past and we couldn't get over the line. We were young and naive. I think Arsenal struggled with that because they didn't have many that had won it in the past. They didn't know they didn't have a manager that had won it, so they didn't know how to get over the line. And City went on to be absolutely outstanding, go on to do it. However, I will say, I'm going to give Arsenal a massive rap here. What City have done will never be as close to what Arsenal did when they were the Invincibles. So City might have won that battle, but until somebody goes unbeaten all season, like Arsenal managed to do, that will still be but, my all-time moment. But it was it was a great title so you, title race to watch. Are you saying that going unbeaten in the league all season surpasses winning the treble? Yes. Wow. Because nobody else has ever done it apart from Arsenal. Nobody else has ever done it apart from Arsenal. Yeah, but I, no, I'm not having it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going the treble beats. No, beats no that's what football's I, about, Mark. It's about opinions. It's great. Yeah, but but your opinion on this one sucks, right? Because I'm saying that I think <laughs> Man City winning the treble surpasses Arsenal's invincibles. Look, Arsenal's invincibles in in, in terms of that when not losing a game was impressive, was incredible, and it's unprecedented, of course. But to well, win Man United three, have won the treble as well, trophies. so you'd have to put them. You'd have to put them above that, then. Yeah. So, well, they're, they're, absolutely above above what Arsenal did. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so that that's my next question. Where does Manchester City's accomplishment rank in terms of treble winning teams, Phil? 
um really high like much higher than much higher than Arsenal's invincibles I would say like you look at that season Arsenal they got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League they didn't win uh either domestic cups um no. They didn't win the Community Shield either. Like no. they, they literally just no. won the league. So, but, but they won okay, the league yeah, and didn't great. lose, so that's the best, they apparently. Won the so that's not what? the best, man. That's not like winning the, winning the league <laughs> and Phil, winning the Champions I've, League. I've swallowed my Spurs time, pride here. Hard. I've swallowed my Spurs pride and come out with a comment. There's no way you're going to give into that. You're going to stick with the Man City and Man United treble over anything to do with Arsenal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but Mark doesn't support Spurs. It's a good one for socials. Also... I'm telling you, that would be a good three. Is it Man United, Man City <laughs> so, or Arsenal's invincible? So, so can we even compare Man United, Man City troubles? Can we compare them? Do, does one surpass the other? Are they as good? One's better than the other? I think like City were just clearly the best team in Europe uh, last last year, and Manchester United might not have been quite as clear when they won uh, in 1999. I just think just City were were it was just justice that they won. Um, even the way they come they back in the final against Bayern. What United? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that was great. That was historic. But uh, they were, you know, two minutes away from losing, and it wasn't, you know, it didn't look like they were ever going to come back. They and um, they won. They, they, they won, won, obviously. But I'm, I'm saying that you know the way that City won the uh, the Champions League last season was much more convincing than the way that the game was crap. Was one nil they won. The game was crap. They, they, they actually almost uh, didn't win the game because Inter Milan actually played really, really well and actually had some big chances. Because all right, um, United was better. Is, you're right. Edison, Edison was outstanding in that game. No, but the interesting thing is, look, I think they're both, I think they're both equal. Um, I will quote what Noel Gallagher said. I will never really ever quote him ever, ever again, probably. But he talked about, they were asked this, he was asked this question before they won that final against Inter Milan about if Manchester City win the treble, where does that rank alongside Manchester City? And we're talking about, obviously, Noel Gallagher being a Man City diehard childhood lifelong fan and hates Manchester United, but he said they they joined them in the room, this special room. Manchester United are in that room, and he goes, we want to join them, and we want to have one hell of a party when we join Manchester United in that room by winning the treble. And I think that is – I think that sums it up pretty well. Um yeah. Fair enough. What I will say is that Man City and Man United have both won the treble. Other teams around the world have won a treble. Arsenal – have emulated something that nobody else has been able to do. Let's talk about Erling Haaland quickly. His record-breaking season in the Premier League. He scored 36 goals, 52 in all competitions overall. How good a first season did he have in the Premier League, Bridgie? Yeah, pretty bang average, to be fair. It's not uh, it's an easy thing to do, you know, when you, when you first come and do stuff like that. Um, superb, outstanding. I knew he was good. I didn't realise how good he was. Um, until you see him in the flesh playing week in, week out. And the goals that he was scoring, Swartzy, the records, you're going to get chances in a team like Man City. And for me, he should have won the Ballon d'Or, but Messi went and won the Copa America and the World Cup for Argentina and won the Ballon d'Or. So I think the international scene always goes against him, but what he achieved in that Premier League first season and around Europe was was outstanding. And it was just a joy to watch from one one striker to another. Uh, we were just checking how many goals he scored in the Premier League and uh, we got 36 and producer Elliot goes, oh, bloody hell, that is a lot. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it is a, like a, an extremely high number in your first season. He's only 23. He's only yeah. 23. People said that he wouldn't necessarily fit into the Guardiola team uh, and the uh, the system around him. But yeah, wow, um, incredible first season. 
Now we're into May, where Sam Kerr and Chelsea reign supreme over the WSL once again. Here's Narelle and Ash from the Women's Football Rap Show to tell us more. Thanks, Schwartzy. Merry Christmas, team, and Merry Christmas, Ash. Well, looking back at it, May was an exceptional month for the Blues, winning their fourth straight title, but it all came down to the final day for the second season in a row. Isn't it exciting? It like, is. You know, we might be heading for something similar again this year, but Chelsea certainly know how to get it done in May. They finish it off against Reading on the final day with a convincing 3-0 win, and, you know, it, it was great to see sort of how they finished off the season, wasn't it? They had... I think one goal conceded in all of May and they scored a bunch themselves. You know, it was just super impressive to see, you know, when they're under pressure, they still deliver. Yeah, the nearest title rivals, Manchester United. Basically, if Chelsea didn't win on the final day, and Manchester did, they would have won, right? They finished two points behind them. But it's crazy to think that Chelsea don't let that pressure get to them. They play pretty well under the pump and that was their sixth title overall <laughs> they said fourth in a row and they also won the FA Cup that month as well and the final was against Manchester United thanks for that reminder oh, sorry. <laughs> Sam Kerr scoring the winning goal um, and just when you kind of thought maybe this is the season they died down they haven't really done that yet no they hadn't yeah and it's just so impressive like Man United and other teams in the past probably four seasons have started thinking oh maybe this is the year that we're going to knock Chelsea off but we haven't and then you know Chelsea take two sort of trophies from them in that final day the other thing to touch on is Sam Kerr like she, her, the finish to her season was great she had five goals of her 12 in scored in May so wow. she knows how to turn up when she needs to and and provide for her team and you know we're heading into another season where she's going to be super important for them so we'll see, you know, what her goal tally looks like come the end of the season, I think. Yeah, it's at four at the moment. So she won't be happy with that. But maybe we'll have to wait till May until she really starts getting fired up. But we talked about last season. It was really Chelsea and Manchester United, the two front runners in terms of um, the domestic league and cup competition as well. Chelsea, as it stands, sit three points clear at the top. Manchester City and Arsenal are their nearest rivals. Do you think they'll be able to keep up with Chelsea now they've got that three-point buffer? Do you think that's them away laughing? Maybe, maybe. I, I think it's just hard to chase them down. Like they've gotten a lead and they, you know, don't let up. I think the only teams that they might let, you know, uh, lose to are Man City or Arsenal. I can't see them losing to Manchester United. So then, you know, all these teams have to be perfect. You know, there's that. There's that record in the WSL where if you lose more than two games, you can't win the season. And Arsenal and Man City are already on two losses. So they can't afford to lose another one, you know, traditionally, if they want to win the league. Whereas Chelsea have got a little bit of a buffer. I mean, I personally can't see Chelsea losing it. I know they got flogged by Arsenal a couple of weeks ago, but I can't see them losing it from here. What do you think? The only thing I think that might trip them up is their involvement in the Champions League. And we all know that's the one they want to yeah. win, right? They've won the league so many times now, six times. So I don't know, maybe that'll come back to haunt them. And they'll really want that Champions League win because it's sort of the only one that sort of evaded them and Emma Hayes, you know, that's the other thing going for them. Is it going to be too much for, you know, that pressure of Emma Hayes leaving at the end of the season to get another trophy or to get a Champions League? Or is that going to um, sort of spur them on even more? Yeah, so you, you're going Chelsea. I'm going Chelsea. Yeah. Who are you going? Arsenal. I reckon, Arsenal. I reckon they'll bounce back. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What do you guys think? Do you agree with me or Ash or neither of us? Who's going to win the WSL, guys? Chelsea 
going to get their fifth. You're going to see Sam Kerr. She was getting abused the other day. They were off Arsenal fans. She was in the car. She just pointed at the window and said, I've got four titles. Don't worry. And I think she's going to be doing that next season. Definitely. All the way, I'm cheering at Sammy and Chelsea on. I'm a Spurs fan, so I don't want to predict Chelsea or Arsenal, so I'll go for Man City. Um, best defence of the league so far, and uh, let's see if they can keep going. Spurs definitely aren't going to win it, so a Man City will do it. You had me Mark? there because I thought you were going to say Spurs, and I was going to have a laugh about that, actually. Because, I, I mean, even though they did beat Arsenal just on the weekend, but I didn't think they'd have a chance winning the, the WSL. I'm going to go with Arsenal. I've been saying it all along. I feel Arsenal have the firepower and the ability, and, of course, Caitlin Ford, um, Steph Catley, and then you just, the list goes on of, of world-class players. So I, I just feel no European football, Arsenal are the team that could go on and win it. In June, June was a massive uh, month for Aussie football. Ange was announced as Spurs boss. Bridget, we talked about it early on in the season um, of last year's pod, pod, uh, podcast, or early on in the year, actually. We talked about... Yeah. Why wouldn't Spurs be interested? Spurs would be a perfect destination for Ange Postacoglu. And what happens in June? They announce him as manager. How good, of, how good of an appointment is that? Yes, June was a big month for Ange. It was a big month for me. I was celebrating running around the house. I've been trying to get Ange and see him in a, in a, in a big club for a long, long time. You know I'm a big admirer of his. So to see this news break, Sporty, was absolutely brilliant. Not just, not just for Tottenham Hotspur, because not a lot of fans would have really seen what he is about and understood his mentality about what his vision philosophy is, what his coaching methods are, and wondering, all right, he's done well at Celtic, he's done well over in Japan, what's he going to do? Well, what I always said, Swarty, from day dot, is that win, draw or lose, Tottenham fans are going to enjoy his style of play. And I think it was inevitable that we saw that in the first few matches when the fans were staying behind. Um, whether it was in the 99th minute with all the injury time that we've been having or whatever. They just knew that something was possible with Tottenham Hotspur. He's brought a belief back. So the news that was breaking, like you say, was superb for Tottenham fans, but also superb for Australian coaches that have gone through the AFC diplomas that they're actually seeing now the shining light of people like Ange, people like Kevin Muscat now that has obviously gone to the, the left uh, Yokohama Mariners and got himself a job in China. I do believe that would have would have been... I thought he might be another one that we would have seen over here um, with this, possibly the Sunderland job, but that hasn't occurred. So, yeah, it's good for everybody that's been involved. And as a Spurs fan, me and Phil, we've been smiling ever since. Phil, let's go into it, right? Uh, let's assess it. He's, he's obviously coming up to, what, six months in the job. I want you to give me one positive and one negative about Ange's coaching reign so far. And we've got to all give that as well, but none of one can actually say the same things. <laughs> Listen, you know what? There, there, there genuinely aren't many negatives. I've been trying. To, I've been trying to think what 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 has gone wrong. What hasn't? What have we been disappointed in the first six months? And the only negative I can actually think of is the League Cup when they went out on penalties to to Fulham back in back in August. And Ange made loads of changes for that game. I think it was nine or ten changes. Went out on penalties and just felt like it was an opportunity missed. It felt like he, he, he misjudged it and it could have been a really good chance to get some silverware um, because on their day, uh, this Tottenham side can be anyone, can go toe-to-toe with anyone as we've seen in the domestic competition so far. So yeah, I think that was a negative and the positive. He's just made people be 
excited and happy and proud to be a Spurs fan again. And that is not a small thing given from, from where we were. And we can go into how he's done that and the style of football and what he's implemented and the, the, what, how he's got the players playing. But generally, it's an overall thing that he's just brought this feeling of hope and positiveness yeah. back to a club that were really, really, really low. So that's 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 the biggest thing that he's done. Yeah. The positive for me, Swartzy, is the fans are staying behind. He's brought you didn't use the word Phil, he's brought a belief. So I'm not copying what Phil said. He has brought a belief back um to that football club. The negative for me was the high line that he played against Chelsea with nine men on the halfway line. Um, there was a clip where there was four Chelsea players in behind the high line of Tottenham Hotspur in the in the the match when they got beat. But I thought there was a little bit of naivety there. And after these interviews, they said, what are you going to do? He said, that is how we are going to play. I want it to be Chelsea found a way and that was a humiliating result. Um, but again, That's a that, positive for me. Oh, <laughs> that was a positive for you, that Phil, was, was it? That was yeah. a positive, yeah. yeah. It nearly worked. Yeah. It nearly worked. Yeah. So nearly I know it nearly did, but then when it didn't, yeah. then when it didn't, it yeah. kind of turned into a snowball effect. So we yeah. saw still saw moments where I thought, yeah, brilliant, and oh, God, here we go. But that Chelsea game destroyed mm-hmm. Tottenham. It kind of derailed Tottenham for a few weeks, but it was a good test for Ange and his characteristics of how he handles the situation, and he's come out again shining at the other end of the tunnel. All right, I'm going to say um, the positive is that he has turned players into better players in a very, very short yes. period of time and yeah. put smiles and enjoyment back on the player's face. And you can see that in their performances. The negative is the way that he wants to play, the high press, high intensity, has contributed at some some point or some degree with the number of injuries they've had. So that's the only negative I'm going to come up with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's done a fantastic job and um, let's see, let's hope it continues and let's see come the end of the season where this Spurs team ends up quickly, just quickly, top top, uh, top four or not, Bridgie? Yes. Phil? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was like a squeaky bum <laughs> one, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say yes. That's like a so it's three yeses. There, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's three yeses. So um, let's move right on. Halfway uh, in our Christmas special uh, podcast for Optus Sport, Bridgie, I just want to hear from your experience, and I'll give you mine afterwards, about what it means and what it's like for a footballer to play during the festive period, during Christmas. It was all, It was always a test and a challenge for me, Swartie, because I am a – I love my food, and I think since retirement you've probably seen that. I love my no, food and my wine. No, you do you? Yeah. Now, when you train every single day and you're a young fit uh, player, you can get away with it. But my my biggest challenge during Christmas was not eating my mother's food because she could put on some tr- uh, roast potatoes. I'm putting it out there. Her roast potatoes are out there as the best in the world, mate. There is no top chef could beat my mother's roasties. So the the food element for me, not being able to tuck into the the roasties and the trifle that she does, and yeah, that was always a challenge for me. The, did I you didn't, not? Did you not eat any of it? I did, man. I ate too much of it, and that was my biggest yeah. nemesis. That was <laughs> it. Was my biggest challenge. The other biggest challenge that was a when that was when we played at home. If we had a way days, Swartzy, it was the travel, being in hotels and hearing everybody else celebrate and having parties. And you were in your room just like having to pretend that nothing was going on and Christmas was quite a... Because I, I love Christmas. It's always been part of my family's life. I love getting together with family and being together. So the away trips for me were horrendous. I didn't enjoy it. But Peter Reid preferred taking us on away trips because he knew if I had home trips, I'd come in about three kilos overweight, four kilos. 
Um, so yeah, that was my challenge. What, what about what about you? Yeah, that was always a challenge. The festive period, eating, yeah. Um, yeah. overeating, because it's the yeah. food and cooking, and it was just yeah. so, oh, it's amazing. I think for yeah. me, the most difficult point was all of that, but also being away from your family. And so particularly when you got kids, when, when the kids came along and then they were old enough to know, hang on, it's Christmas. Hang on, where are you going? Why are you going? Like you're up and you do quickly yeah. do the presents. And then you're out the door and you're off and you don't see them for another couple of days, right? And I think that was the most difficult part um, of, of, of the festive period, just being on the go. Look, we all know for football fans, it's like the best period of time, right? They get to have their Christmas. They get to, you know, eat, drink, be merry, have a great time with their family and then go and watch the football on Boxing Day, right? Just about so, to say, well, it's, since retirement, Christmas has become the best period for me because I can eat, I can well, indulge. And there's so much football you can go and watch. And I, I get it why the fans love the Christmas period. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where you as football players re realize post-football how good it is, what what the experience is like as a fan, right? I'm gonna, I'm just going to enjoy this period of time. Then I've got, I'm going to a game on the 26th. Oh, brilliant. You know, I can go and watch a whole lot of games, but I also can enjoy myself in the meantime. But if you're working, I suppose you've got to be a little bit more professional these days, Bridgie. Are you? I already know what I'm getting for Christmas off my wife because I found it and she doesn't know I found it. And um, she's oh, probably, no. if this goes out before Christmas, she's in trouble. Were you she's, looking? You were looking, weren't you? I found it by accident, Phil. And it's actually, <laughs> it, you know what? It's funny about it. It's a gym pass starting on the 1st of January <laughs> for a year. <laughs> so, what does that tell you? Off the back of the stories you just told us about how much you trust. You're, yeah. you're a little bit of a fatty, Bridgie. Come and sort it out. So I know I'm getting a gym membership for Christmas. How good's that? Brilliant. So that's Brilliant. good. You can just super indulge now, knowing that you've got um, a gym Correct. membership. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, we're on to July right now, and this is the moment for Harry Maguire where his kind of like his position at the club was stripped away from him because he lost the captaincy by from Ten Hag, took it off him. Um, do you think it was a right decision, Phil, to take the captaincy off Harry Maguire? I don't think it's a decision that has necessarily been vindicated by what we've seen uh, subsequently. I don't see, don't think we've seen uh, Bruno Fernandes who, who replaced him or really anyone show a lot of like leadership in this United side. I feel sorry for Harry Maguire is sort of unfortunately become this uh, figure of fun when you really, it's not nice to see any player being reduced to that. Who's you know entirely professional. Let's not forget. He was actually, was he player of the month in November? So he's sort of come back and yeah. reversed the, the situation by uh, managing to, to, um, to get back in the side and put in sort of strong performances uh, coming from a really weak point so yeah I don't know if it was the right decision to be honest and I don't know if Bruno Fernandes is the is the right captain for uh, Manchester United this feels like a slightly superficial debate because the problems at United go go deeper than who is wearing who is wearing the armband we saw Scott McTominay who uh, was the captain in the side uh, against Liverpool uh, you know a few days ago um, because Fernandes was suspended I, I don't know it doesn't feel like it's the biggest issue but it did feel a little bit a little bit harsh on, 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 on Harry Maguire. I can understand maybe why it happened, but it did feel a bit harsh. I think actually it's the right decision for Harry Maguire. I, I do. I don't think it was yeah, the right maybe. decision for Manchester yeah, yeah. United because yeah, I think yeah. Harry Maguire is a far better captain than Bruno Fernandes. But I think for Harry Maguire, for him personally, yeah. to get his form back on, on, on track, the bit of, bit of uh, uh, relief from the fans, the abuse, I think – it was the perfect thing and the best thing that could happen to him, even though it wasn't done in the best possible way, of course. How, how could it be? Uh, let's move on to August because it was 
I mean, the August, look, the biggest talking point, of course, has to be the Women's World Cup. Um, the Matildas made absolute, uh, they made history at the World Cup, making it to a semi-final. First time made it past the quarterfinal stages. It was a little bit shaky at one stage. We maybe thought, maybe they're not going to make it. Um, but look, having a World Cup in Australia, um, being part of that whole uh, coverage was amazing. Um, always knew that a World Cup in Australia would be would be given justice, that it'd be fantastic. It's no coincidence to me that it's been the best Women's World Cup ever. Attendance is the way it was being run, the professionalism, money that's involved, everything, uh, the attention that's received globally. Um, absolutely incredible. And obviously the Matildas played their part in that. Um, I want to know from you guys, what were you guys seeing from afar? Um, I think we've talked about this a bit in past podcasts, Phil, when we mentioned women's football and what what the attention was like for Spain. I mean, Spain obviously going and win the World Cup. Um, what yeah. was that like? Um, yeah, the time difference made it difficult for like the whole country to necessarily get behind the uh, the tournament. But as the team progressed, uh, there was more and more attention being paid to it. Um, subsequently, matters uh, made the Spanish women's national team uh, headlines on the front pages. But uh, in terms of the tournament, I think people were like super impressed uh, at seeing this professional level of um, of organisation full stadiums we're seeing like images of people celebrating on the streets like here in spain we've never i think around the world we've never seen a women's tournament like that and i think it just helped people embrace uh, the uh, the spanish national team and it just made people like extremely impressed at this and i'm not just saying this because we're up to sport and we had the rights to the to the tournament genuinely from spain people were looking at this thinking this is a, a really impressive tournament which spain went on to one which made people obviously remember it but uh, there were a lot of people a lot of comments um people saying to me like yeah this is a this looks like a really really well run world cup and let's see if we get something similar like that here in um, here in europe in the future and maybe why not? Who knows if Spain can do something like that? Because I think Australia set the bar extremely high. Yeah. I mean, Bridgie, you, you, had, you had nothing to lose in the end. I mean, you couldn't lose. You had two teams, your two countries in the semifinal. Um, so, well, he did lose. Well, he did lose. But in the semifinal, at least, <laughs> get to a final of a yeah. World Cup is pretty impressive. Thanks for joining us, Bridgie. That, yeah. uh, you, the, the science was deafening, and it was all because Bridgie decided to leave himself on mute and uh, chat away to himself for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Apologise for that because I didn't want I didn't want to get into the debate because I had both passports out. The, the family was torn <laughs> which way we were going to. Me and the wife were going for the lionesses. My wife, um, sorry, my daughter and son were going for the Matildas, obviously. So it was a, a very mixed household. But what I was delighted about Swartzy was known and having lived in Australia that it was geared up with the stadiums, with the infrastructure, ready for a World Cup. And I'm delighted. Of it. I know James Johnson, having worked for FIFA in the City Group, came back and made that one of his main things that he tried to do for Australia was to get a World Cup off the back of that um, with his contacts and connections. And Australia got the rights to do it and pulled off an incredible tournament. Uh, and I'm just delighted that Matilda's went on to do it. I was gutted. I was watching it from afar. I wish we hadn't moved back to the UK and or come back for the World Cup because it would have been, you know, the, the scenes looked incredible. So I was watching at the footage down in Melbourne. So, yeah, it, it ticks are all round. I've got to say, what was your favourite moment, though, Sporty? Well, if one thing stood out for that World Cup, what, what was it? Um, I I loved the way that the Australian public embraced the game. The support that they showed, um, mentioned at stadiums. Um, I think that was incredibly impressive. Not that I, 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 
I doubted they would come in the numbers that they did. I thought the Matildas games definitely would be sold out. Did I think that the vast majority of games would be in, in Australia um, either sold out or certainly very, very heavily attended? No. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was incredibly proud of the way that the Australian public came out and supported the the game, which it, it thoroughly deserves. Let's move on to September. September is like an incredible month, really is certainly for footballers. Uh, when we were playing, obviously the season's just begun. You're into the into the the throes of the season, but the transfer window is still open, and you don't know whether you're still going to be at a club or not, or who may come and join you at your club, whether it's a another competitor for your direct position or whether it's someone else, right? So I want to know from all three of you, or all three of us, not three of you, but the two of you, uh, but all three of us will give our best transfer of the tr- of the season so far and why. And of course, our worst transfer and why. Let's start with the best, right? Bridget, you go first. Just give us your best and we'll move along after that. Uh, do, do I have to give you one? Or can I give you just a few? But I have got one outstanding. Can I just throw a few names out there, Swartz? No, no, just give me one. I don't want to be yeah, here all yeah, day. Yeah, you can. Yeah, of course you can. A Let, of, let's just go. Oh, I've, I've got a couple of names Phil. as well. Thank you. Yeah. I was delighted to see Dior be coming for Aston Villa. I thought I've, I've watched him, the pace of him. He's given Aston Villa a new, a new lease of life and also made Bailey um, kick his you know, his actions into gear for Aston Villa as well. He's been performing because he knows the pressure's on. Declan Rice going to Arsenal was a mad, magnificent signing for them from West Ham. Um, I know West Ham fans don't want to hear that, but Declan Rice to Arsenal was a big one. Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich. I love that one, but my favourite is Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid because he has gone on to a new stratosphere. I love him. Best signing for me, Bellingham. Uh, very difficult to disagree that Jude Bellingham has been the signing of the of the summer of the season so far, given what he's doing. Like I've been here, I've been Spain, I've been Madrid, I'm watching it week in, week out. The 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 performances that he's put in, and not just that, the way that he's leading the team, the way that everybody is behind him, everybody loves Jude. Uh, at the time of recording, I think he's on 17 goals or 18 goals. It's it's an unbelievable record for a, a midfielder, and it's just extraordinary. It looks unbelievably good value for 103 million euros to have this 20 year old superstar who at the at the time of recording that I think might be the best player in the world, like the most complete player in the world. It's extraordinary. A couple of other names, someone else from La Liga, Girona signed a Ukrainian striker that I don't think many of us had ever heard of, a guy called Artem Dovbik, who has been absolutely key uh, to their success and has been uh, banging in the goals as well. So he's been a terrific signing for uh, Girona. And can I mention James Madison for Spurs? Like I know he's yes. been injured the uh, last few weeks, but 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 before that, he's been just running the show for Spurs and the price tag as well. When you consider how many other teams paid so much money for big midfielders, getting him for forty million. Thank you, Phil, because he slipped my value. mind there. He slipped my mind. That's a that's a good call, yeah, man. Yeah. He was magnificent. Yeah, the only, the only the only question mark is the fact he's out injured and has been for a number of weeks now. But you're right; he has had a fantastic start to his career at Spurs. I agree. I think it's hard to look beyond Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane, actually. Um, I mean, look, Jude Bellingham, incredible, 20 years old, um, and as well as he's done and he's the midfield player, but played in a more advanced role, playing as, a, as, as kind of like a, a striker, right? So uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. I'm going to say Harry Kane's had the biggest impact. I'm going to say 20, you know, 20 goals, um, Champions League as well as 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 and on top of that on, on, in, in the Champions League as well, um, big influence for Bayern Munich. I'm just, I'm gonna I'm just gonna be different. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna say Harry Kane for me is the the standout signing so far. Um, but Jude Bellingham is obviously incredible. I, I want to go Premier League quickly as well. I think 
Dominic Slomislai has been very, very good for Liverpool, uh, I think. And also, we talk about bargains. I think it was like 50 mil, which in these days, I think is a, is a, is a very reasonable price. And the other one, which I didn't think I'd say this, is Vicario at, uh, at Spurs. Mm. I think he's been a very, very good mm. signing. Um, yeah. And depending on how Spurs go, his form continues. You know, he could be right in there with a ch- mm. shout for being goalkeeper's union. goalkeeper of the season. Goalkeeper's union. Yeah, yeah. goalkeeper's union. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wait till my next one as well, Bridgie. Come on, Bridgie. Worst signing of the Premier League. Or worst signing so far in the season. Anywhere. Anana, <laughs> Rhea. I'm going for oh. all the goalkeepers. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not, mate. I'm not. The worst signings I've got, the... Oh, I've got Havertz leaving to go to Arsenal. How Chelsea unloaded him was absolutely magnificent business, the way they did that. Um, I've got to say another one they offloaded, Mason Mount to Manchester United. Has anybody seen Mason Mount? Where is he? What's happened? Absolutely shocking. But my worst signing has got to go to Newcastle United in Tenali because they got absolutely (laughs) stitched up. Hung out to dry, well and truly. AC Milan knew exactly what was going on behind the scenes with his gambling addiction. But Newcastle to get a signing for that fee, they thought they'd absolutely hit the jackpot after his first few matches, and then they've had to deal with it. So I've got I've got to give it to Nolly for the way everything was handled because um, yeah, I thought they were stitched up well and truly, and it's um, I wish him all the best for his road to recovery. Uh, I think I know who Mark is going to go for, so I won't say him, but I might say a potential teammate of him in in Rasmus Hoyland, who is still hasn't scored in the Premier League um, and, you know, the goals that he scored in the Champions League didn't help United get out of uh, their group or even finish third. So, yeah, and Mason Mount was also on my list as well. A really big chunk of money for someone who has genuinely not had any kind of impact uh, at all. So uh, those are my two. There was a third, but maybe I'll leave that to Schwartz. Well, I mean, the Mason Mount one, I, I it's hard to disagree other than I would say in his defence, he's had a lot of injuries. So that's the only thing I'll give him a bit of a pass on at the moment. Um, I'm a big but fan. Worst of signing of the season doesn't mean like they've played the worst. It means like the amount of money and the impact. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But that's well I'm just going to I'm going to class it. I'm going to class it in that regard as well. Like, uh, right. I, mean, I get, I get, I get Tenali's. That that is like it's not an injury. That's something that was brewing under the surface that everyone knew about, other than Newcastle, yeah. which yeah. is is very very dodgy. Um, yeah, you're right, Phil. You're right, Andre Anana. I'm going to say Andre Anana because for so many reasons. Um, replacing the hair supposedly an upgrade with his feet yeah upgrade definitely mistakes definitely not i mean he's cost them in the champions league massively um they finished bottom of the group i'm not saying i'm not saying he solely ended up in the bottom of the group because of him but he had a big part to play in that yes he's had better performances in the league but for 47 million pounds and the the um the fanfare that he received or sort of like the 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 way that he's been described and discussed about he's a long long way off it and so far and he's admitted it himself he's not happy with the way he's performed i think he's a long way off it um so he has to go for me as being um one of the worst signings so far that could all change of course uh october is the month of Ballon d'Or, and messi won his eighth one um deserved phil uh, so I recently went back and I was watching um, some of the uh, games that Argentina played in the World Cup. And it was just the most ridiculous World Cup. We've we kind of like forgotten um, how uh, extraordinary it was that they reached the final and, and, and won it and the way that they did it. So in terms of sheer drama, in terms of Messi, the role that he played, the unbelievable level of pressure on him, um, the, the World Cup was just something so extraordinary that maybe for that um, he did deserve it. 
But my, oh my, I mean, Erling Haaland, I don't think anyone is going to score as many goals, win as many important titles and not win the Ballon d'Or as, as he did. So, I mean, it, it was very, very hard done by. But honestly, that, that the Messi thing was so just genuinely historic, cinematic, blockbuster. It was extraordinary. That That's why he won it. Yeah, well said, Phil. That's it. It's, it's Messi's World Cup, the Copa America, everything. And his shirt, it's the six shirts that he wore in the World Cup. Have you just seen that they have just sold that auction for a record 6.1 million um, I think it was dollars or whether it was dollars or pounds, I'm not too sure. But hang on, his six shirts though didn't get the same amount of money as Diego Maradona's one shirt got. So no, no, they it. didn't. Sorry. No, they didn't. Correct. Sorry, I'm, not I'm not having so, it. I'm not having it. So, all right then, Sportsy. So we're saying that that was um, it was well deserved for Messi. Is he the greatest ever then? Because his shirt didn't. No, hang on. I, 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 whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> you you guys have said it was deserved. I I, I mean, deserve. Look, the Ballon d'Or, I'm not having the Ballon d'Or anyway, because it's like Messi what do you mean won... you're not having the Ballon d'Or? No, because, no, the way it's been judged. Because goalkeepers because, never get right. the Ballon d'Or. No, 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 no. Yeah. Messi, Messi, Messi got the Ballon d'Or because they won the Copa America, right? So Because they, they, the they've won something, the so he's won it, right? No, no, no. But then that was the next time. So he got that, the, the previous right. one he won because of the, Ballon, uh, because of the Copa America. Now they won the World Cup and, he, and he's got it, right? But you look at you look at the season where was it 2020, 2021, where Lewandowski should have won it, and they went, oh no, we're not going to give it now because it's not Messi or Ronaldo, so we're not going to give it out. And then you look at Ellen Haaland last season. I'm I mean, not so sure. And Ellen Haaland, does that mean he'll never win the Ballon d'Or because Norway will probably never ever win the World Cup and they won't win the European Championship? Does that mean Haaland will never win the Ballon d'Or? No, of course not. But that's what it seems because like. Because there's not going to be a World Cup with this with this ridiculous storyline ever again, basically. No, I understand that. I, look, I, look I'm a Messi fan as well. Don't get me wrong. I just don't like the way that they they seemingly give out this award for yeah. for players. Yeah. I, I yeah. just feel like honest, it's a I bit of a... I'm arguing it's, with you. Mark, it's, it's the Christmas edition. Oh, yeah. Let's be nice, Mark. Let's not get like the Grinch like Phil yeah, for yeah. not wearing his no. jumper. Stick with the positivity, that's, mate. No, Stop getting off your chest. Get yourself a more wide relax. Back to the question, greatest ever. He's in the same room as Pele, Pele Maradona. Um, I, I mean, there's probably a whole list of players. I never I, saw I, he's in Pele. The same room. I never saw Pele play. I can't comment. I saw Maradona. I love witnessing him. I've seen more of Messi. Messi has clocked football. If you're a young kid these days, or that they, or even loads of adults do as well, you play FIFA. You want to play FIFA and you want to play the computer games. You've got to clock the game. And if you clock the game, you become a hero. He has clocked real football. He has clocked everything, mate. Yeah, this to be done. It can't be even. Hang on. Can't He's be even judged about, now. You said in one. You, you said in one moment you said about uh, about winning World Cups and therefore like that. You know, Messi has to win the Ballon d'Or because he wins the World Cup. Pele won the World Cup three times. So how is even Messi considered the same in terms of best ever? Do you know what I'm saying? Elliot. Like if you want to compare, going, no. if you want to compare, I can't believe you're winning titles to being the greatest. I mean, Pele still wins it, right? But I'm, Mate, I'm not saying sorry, that's I'm the case. A, I'm having Maradona. I'm jo- Maradona. They're joining yeah, the same sorry, room. I'm having Messi. They're all in the same room. No, they're in the same room. Messi. Right? I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say... They're in the same room. They've all joined each other. Um, I don't think one of them is better than the other. I think they're equally as good, just in different eras, different times. And they've won different things. Um, and Messi has now won one of the you? same things. It's the greatest of all time. You can only have one. Messi. Go Phil, on, Phil, who are you going for? Messi's obviously the greatest player of all time. Obviously, I mean, I, I don't think there's even too many too many questions about you know what, I, what he did. To the, you know what's the, upset the, me, the, Phil? He hasn't even put yeah. Ronaldo in the same room as them three. No, I was going to say that. Not even I was going to say. 
No, I was going to say the original Ronaldo is definitely in the room as well. <laughs> right. right let, yeah. Let's move on to November because it's uh, this is the month we've got to talk about. Everton were deducted 10 points. Was that fair? Didn't feel fair. Um, and yeah, I think uh, a lot of Everton fans were completely aggrieved at this. But let me say something. This is maybe the best thing that has happened to Everton this season. And I know that's a wild statement on the face of it. But otherwise, what were Everton looking at for this season? Oh, maybe, you know, mid-table, push on, maybe 10th, 11th, top half, maybe. Now, they've all come together. They've got this sense of injustice to battle against. They're not going to go down because they've already got a comfortable um, margin against the relegation zone they're better than the three teams in the bottom half and they've, they've got this everyone's come together this this sense of injustice I think that it's actually just unified the team and made their season giving it more purpose so yeah it was unfair but actually I think it's it's good it's also magnified a lot of other clubs in the league that they will be sweating now until the following season to see if they can get away with all their charges or what's going on I agree with Phil it was a it was a sad moment to see Everton Football Club I hope between now and the end of this season they don't get any more points deductions um, for other things that are getting investigated at the moment in time but it's galvanised them and uh, ever since they've discharged they've been on an incredible run and clean sheets have been coming and beating teams so fair play to Everton Football Club uh, the new stadium is on the way as well so yeah all in all I think this has definitely galvanised them it was, a, it was a, a big moment for them can I just give one thing a shout out as well because Manchester United fans in November probably the only thing that they're going to win this season but it was a big month for them because the manager, Ten Hag, won Manager of the Month. Harry Maguire won the Player of the Month. Ganacho won Goal of the Month. So they've won three awards in one month. And oh, that's their season so won the trouble. dusted right there. They have won, they won the, the trouble, trouble again, Manchester United. <laughs> in one month. There you go. It was a big month oh, for them. Wow. Yeah. No, I think for Everton, having the 10 points deducted at the very early stages of the season, I agree the way that it's all been talked about and the way that they've turned it around has been exceptional. And that's helped them being so early in the season. I, I think that 10 points will be reduced, but could be extended again because of possible other breaches, uh, potentially. And then let's not even go there, Manchester City 113, but apparently that's all 114 breaches or 15, whatever it is, uh, that's apparently completely different to what Everton's done, apparently. Um, but anyway, it's going to be an interesting uh, next, uh, well, however many months uh, to see where this all goes to. Um, in December, we're going to talk about Manchester City. They're the lucky ones. Um, they, they're struggling, let's be honest. For Manchester City, they haven't had the greatest of starts to the season. And because the bar is so high, we like to, 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 to like pick on them pretty quickly. But it is Pep Guardiola, it is Manchester City, and he was very, very, he was very, he was very kind of, um, I, I thought, uh, very defensive about where Manchester City are and whether or not they could repeat the efforts of what they did over the last couple of seasons and whether they could go for a fourth title and said, absolutely, and we are uh, unified and we're going to do it and all this sort of stuff. They've, had, they've played 10, uh, they played 17 games, won 10, drawn four, lost three, five points off first. Um, but they've had a great Champions League start so far. We'll see what happens. Kevin De Bruyne has only played 23 minutes. We can't use that really as an excuse. Too many players out of form, right, Phil? Wow. 
You can use it as some kind of mitigating uh, circumstances, having one of your best players missing for the whole season. I think it's you know it's valid but, to to mention that. Um, let's see. They won the Champions see, League we're just about December. Let, they won the Champions League without him as well. Like he went off injured. He was struggling up to that. They won it without him as well. Yeah. It was a winnable group, let's, let's, let's say. But yeah, 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 no, I, 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 I know what you mean. Talking about December, they've got the Club World Cup. They've got to go to the Club World Cup and they've not had to do that before. Um, so that is going to be a, a new scenario for them. They're going to miss Premier League match. They're going to come back. They're going to be however many points behind. It's going to be an unknown scenario for them. So we've seen Manchester City put together just militant runs at the end of the season when they go on um, the kind of form that you think they never look like they're going to be and they end up winning the trophy. I think this season might be different. And the Club World Cup, I think, does condition that as well. So uh, let's see how they handle with this new situation. Bridgie, what do you yeah, think about the uh, I just think they're off the boil, mate, uh, because a lot of teams have worked out that you can play several different ways against them. And sometimes they're, they're not fearless. I've said the I said it in a previous podcast that Aston Villa showcased the way this season. I've never seen anybody dominate a team like Aston Villa did um, this season against Manchester City. And like Phil said, it's going to be a challenge for them for the remainder of the season, especially with that World, that world Club campaign. Um, you've got the African Nations Cup as well that a lot of the teams are going to have to handle with players going away this season. So it's going to be an incredible run-in. City are definitely going to be there and thereabouts because they showed that when they chased down Arsenal in previous seasons when they were behind. They found a way, they found the steal, they had the squad. Um but yeah, I can't honestly pick out what it is and pinpoint one thing, Swarty, for City. There is a lot of variables going on and I think there's a lot of other teams have also recruited so well and have got good managers at the helm that are going to challenge um, the tactics of Pep Guardiola. Unai Emery is a super manager in European football. We know about Ange Postacoglu. Uh, Pochettino is back. It's not going to be his season, however. And Newcastle have got the, the money power with Eddie Howe. So it's uh, in Arteta yet again challenging. So it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I know we're only into December, but the title race this season is going to be, I think, one of the best that we will ever see um, because there's so many teams involved in it. And, and I'm so looking forward to it. I think it's potentially one of the best. Um, it all comes down to Man City. If Man City rediscover their form, what we're used to seeing Man City do, I think Man City will, will actually win the league and win the league quite comfortably in the end. Wow. But I hope that doesn't happen because I want to see a really exciting Have you been on the Sherry's? Have see... you, been on the, you been the Christmas brandies <laughs> or the Sherry's? Not yet, mate. Not yet. Yeah, and so therefore, that's, it's a quite legitimate you just uh, You have just said Man City will be comfortably winning the title. Did I? What? I, I just said, what did you hear what I said? I said, if Manchester Repeat. City find their form again and get back to the way they can play, we know that they can play. I think if they do that consistently between now and the end of the season, I think they'll run away. I think they'll win the league quite comfortably. Lovely. I mean, Elliot, just if. clip that up, please, mate. Big if. Just clip that big up, Elliot. That. The producer, just it's clip that up. That is going to be, Absolutely. Uh, that's going to be the highlights Christmas blooper right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and, so okay. you're British, British saying that that isn't going to happen then? Obviously, yeah, obviously. Well, we'll see, Bridgie. We'll see. They might, be, they might, be um, tight. They but, might win the title. They will not run away with it if they find their form. No chance. Not this year. I, no, I said comfortably. They'll win it comfortably. And so yeah. they run away with it. They'd very, win it comfortably. Very similar. Very similar things. Yeah. So, well, yeah, similar <laughs> but different. Anyway, uh, wild predictions for 2024. Phil, what is your wildest prediction? You can't even say Girona anymore because that's not doesn't seem that wild anymore that Girona would win the Liga. No, no. I was thinking about that and I think that isn't actually wild, is it? Um Barcelona to not finish in the top four. 
for the first time in over 20 years. I mean, wow. it's pretty wild. That is pretty wild. But I think if it's going to happen uh, any time in the last 20 years, uh, it looks like potentially this year might be the closest to it. Um, so, yeah, you've asked for a wild one. Don't clip this up at the end of the season and throw it in my face when they win the league. Because, um, But I'm doing it because it's, it's a particularly wild one. But I think there's an outside small chance that it might happen. Bridgie, what have you got? Well, there's a lovely clip goes around um, on social medias of Anton Griezmann playing championship manager on a plane with his French colleagues. And Mbappe is sat on the other side of the plane. Griezmann says to him, I've just signed you for Newcastle United. And Mbappe goes, who? I've never heard of them. Well, Mbappe did hear <laughs> of them. He played them this season in the Champions League. Newcastle destroyed them at St. James's Park with a 4-1 victory. However, they didn't progress through the Champions League. But Mbappe definitely recognised what Newcastle was all about in the fans. And I'm going to suggest that... Going? Mbappe could be a Newcastle United player in 2024. What? Wow. Okay. That's pretty wild. That is it. You asked for a wild one. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I like it. Yeah, maybe. I doubt it, though. I I just don't think they've got... I mean, they've got the money, but I don't think they've got the money. You don't think they've got the money? They're the richest club in the world, Mark. (laughs) They're the richest club in the world. Get off the shandies. Get off the brandies. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? In financial, within financial fair play, within the rules of the yeah. game, and I'm not rules implying that no one else broken, like Man City and Chelsea and Everton. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I think you're right there. Um, that seems like very much the case. All right, I'm going to say a wild prediction for next season. I'm going to say that Manchester City are going to win the league and win it comfortably, but also win the Champions League once again. Go double double, yeah. Well, it's not. That's not really a wild one, is it? It's it's kind well, of. Well, it is because you're. Yeah, but you're saying it's going to be the closest Premier League rates ever. And defending then defending champions win it again. If that's as wild, if that's as wild as you can yeah. go, your imagination. No wonder you look like a granddad, because your your wild <laughs> nights out must be. I, I would love to have a wild night out with you. It would be. Do you want to read a book, son? Do you want to have a bit of the pipe? My word, that was wild. Well. Well, that's it. That's all we've got time for, guys. It's been wonderful. It's been great to talk about our Christmas special and also talk about every month and the highlights leading up to uh, the end of the year. Stay safe. Have you have a great time. Thanks for listening to the Optusport Football Podcast. Merry Christmas and a happy new year to you, Phil, Bridgie, and all our listeners. We'll be back at the start of January to recap on all the football over the festive period. See you then. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.